0: Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Kirinor Paleswelt the 16th. My name is Adam, and today I'm reviewing... <laughs> my spoil- I'm giving my spoiler review of uh, Divine Hammer. It's right there, by Chris Pearson. That's right. I'm way off today. Hey, Chris. Uh, I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know what it's all about, go read it, and then come back and watch the review, because, uh, wow, <laughs> it's so much better than my memory served. Oh my goodness. I would like to take a moment and thank the YouTube members of this channel and invite you to consider becoming a member and remind you that you can always pick up Dragonlance Game Materials using my affiliate links, and all of that's in the description below. Okay, so the way these reviews work for the first-timers around here is I'm going to give you my pre-written review, it's not very long, and then I'll just sort of riff for a little while on the characters, themes, etc. If you have any thoughts or comments, throw them up in YouTube chat if you're joining me live. and I'll sort of bounce off of uh, whatever you're putting up there, and we'll have a, a fun little discussion for a little while. And then after that, if you're watching this after the fact, put it in the comments, and I'll get back to you. I always do. All right, that being said, let's dive in here. You made the mistake of reading the trilogy before Dragons of Fate. Oh, jeez, no, don't ever do that. First of all, oh, God, it's a completely different caliber. First of all, for all of you fans of Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, me too, I get it. They do not compare to Chris Pearson. They're not in the same ballpark. Chris Pearson is an incredible author that tells Dragonlance stories as if they are these grandiose epics. I mean, it is so, it's like completely black and white. So if you love Dragons of Deceit or Dragons of Fate, you have got to read the King Priest trilogy because it's next level stuff. All right. That being said, so the novel opens with two black-robed wizards being attacked by Knights of the Divine Hammer. The Master Nusendran, (laughs) that's his real name, the Voiceless, ironically called for his apprentice to flee, and he was caught, then burned alive. His apprentice, Andras, was teleported to safety by Fist and Danilus. Of course, we all know why, and we will get to all of that in time. But it's a nice way of continuing his story arc, as Beldina's The Lightbringer is developing his as well. Then we flash forward seven years to Cathan Marseverin, leader of the Knights of the Divine Hammer, heading up his unit to exterminate a cult of Chemishites. Chemoshites? I don't know. They lose some knights, but ultimately destroy the cult. Cathan's squire, Tithian, killed the leader of the cult by throwing his sword. This act will get him knighted, but he wants Cathin to knight him. Catherine agrees to do it for the, his young squire, but he will not be an official knight until he goes through the official ceremony. This sets up Catherine as a proud and caring leader of his men. We're reminded of his death and resurrection and how he genuinely is concerned for the knights underneath him. It turns out the king-priest wants Catherine to return to the capital as the envoy of the Wizards of High Sorcery has arrived, and the Orders of High Sorcery are going to be sending Uh, has died, sorry, and the Orders are sending a new envoy uh, that he's supposed to be escorting. Bildinus wants Catherine to escort this new envoy. He arrived at the capital, and it's the first time that some of these knights have seen him in person, and so there's this really great moment where they're sort of getting their eyes on the capital for the first time, and they're sort of like gasping in awe. Some people have tears streaking down their face, just the sheer beauty of this city. He meets with the king-priest, and it turns out that the orders are not sending an envoy for a week, so he enjoys his time at the capital with his men. He's confronted by an old woman whose sons were killed by the Knights of the Divine Hammer for worshipping a neutral god. And we're shown that the king-priest has already begun ignoring the balance and not uh, targeting only evil, but neutral priests and followers as well. So if you don't follow the good gods, then you are considered justified in being murdered by the Divine Hammer. As Cathan continues to dream about the coming cataclysm, the orders send the red robe wizard Lysian to be the new envoy. And this is to ensure that the new envoy isn't a toady to the king-priest like the former one was. She arrives and tells Catherine to stay on the grove's path when he comes to escort her, as the Tower of Istar has a grove of forgetfulness surrounding it. Cathan tries his best to do so, but strays, and Lysian saves him from losing his memory I'm sorry, saves him from losing more of his memory than he already has as he wanders off the path. They return to the Capitol Hall and she refuses to be blessed by the King Priest, which is pearl-clutching shocking, uh, who ultimately accepts her uh, position, but the court is appalled. Since she is a red robe, they see her as evil. Cathan realizes that he wasn't sent to protect the King Priest from Lessian, but rather to protect Anne from the court. Meanwhile, Andras summons imps to spy on the King Priest, Perfus and Dallas's orders. Cathan is sent with the King Priest to his sister's celebration ceremony of twenty years of Baldinas' rule. He has been estranged from his sister and is uncomfortable attending it, but he's got to protect his liege. Lysiane tries to charm Catherine but fails, worried that she doesn't have anyone on her side in the capital. The tournament goes off without a hitch, with all the Divine Hammer knights fighting to exhaustion against each other, only Lord Tavar and Cathan are left. They battle each other to exhaustion, with Tavar getting the upper hand. And then all hell breaks loose. Quasits, summoned by Andrus and protected from divine magic, swarm and attack the knights. This is Andrus's vengeance for his master being burned at the stake. The king-priest tries to banish the imps, but fails. Then, Lesienne casts a spell which damages them all, and the remaining knights are able to defeat the beasts at last. This blow to the Divine Hammer from a wizard is all the King Priest needs for justification to call all wizards evil. But neither Lesienne nor the Conclave wants that. Lessian helps him find Andras, and he makes his last stand. He is defeated by Lesienne's magic at every turn, then he's arrested by Cathin, but... Andras remembers seeing his master burn at the stake and refuses to go out that way. So he leaps on Cathan's sword, hoping for death. He would have had it, but Lessian teleports him and Cathan to the king priest, who then heals him, only to then plan his own burning at the stake in the arena. On the day of execution, they, it reminded me of uh, the Princess Bride, when Wesley goes to the Pit of Despair. And they're, like, like cleaning him up. And, he's, and the, the torture guy is just like... um now, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, uh, the master wants everyone in perfect shape before he begins to torture them. <laughs> like, okay. Science. So on the day of execution, they begin burning him as Lesienne pleads to have him returned to the conclave for their judgment. The king priest completely refuses the request. Lesienne informs the high mage, and he tells Andres to, or he teleports Andras to Weyrith and tells the king priest, uh, through this garish glass statue that this is the con that this is their problem to solve not the king priests then the king priest destroys the statue in anger andras is summoned to the conclave which asks him who had taught him the powerful magic but andras refuses to tell them as he rightly fears fisted Danilus more than the conclave as they begin torturing him for the name Fist and Analyst ends up murdering the black robe conducting the interrogation and teleports Andres back to his lair. This is arguably one of the many great scenes in the book. There's like these spider or not spider, but um, I don't know, like squid or, or uh, octopus like tentacles like streaming out of this spell. Uh, I think it's from like this evil black robe staff and like wrapping around Andres' head, going into his mouth. I mean, all sorts of crazy tentacle stuff. And he's, like, choking and dying and everything. And then the, the he, like, looks at the interrogator, who's just the master of the black robes. He's, like, staring and, like, smiling, this evil grin. And then Fist and Danilus reaches through Andrus's mind, through the tentacles, into this black robe magician, and literally blows him up from the inside. It is the coolest shit ever. And it showcases just how powerful Fist and Danilus is. He doesn't have to be near you, and he can eliminate you without even trying. Again, this really puts Raeson Majir as a total badass for what he does later. All right, so, meanwhile, Lessian is trying to organize a moot so everyone can find some semblance of peace between the Wizards of High Sorcery and Istar. They all agree to the moot, but Fissendela summoned a fetch, and Andrus gave it the form of the first son of Paladine. At the moot, the fetch plunder, uh, plunges a dagger into the king-priest's chest, and the divine hammer rains crossbow bolts down on the wizards. As the divine hammer strikes out toward the wizards and the wizards defend themselves, many on both sides die as the king-priest fills Cathan with the ability to heal him. This was a very strange moment. In the, in the first book, Kathan had some sort of, like, super, like, it alluded to some, like, super divine power or something in this, and and some ability to sort of um, uh, connect with magic, right? In this novel, he also has the ability to, like, like, channel divine magic in this really intense way, but he also feels arcane magic, which is very, very strange that he is, like, tapped into both divine and arcane magic, though on Kryn that's pretty much one of the same, it all comes from the gods. It's it, it just like one of those things that really kind of struck me is like, is Chris Pearson not understanding Dragonlance lore or is he saying something about Cathan that we as the reader is supposed are supposed to pick up on? This act brings fear into the King Priest. I'm starting to think the ghost that we met in the last would be King Priest in the previous novel was right. Cathan should have accepted the Meiserin for himself and become the King Priest. Imaging the, uh, I'm sorry, imagining the differences between the two. I think Catherine would be a great king priest, and I doubt there would have even been a cataclysm if he were. In any case, Catherine saw the look the king priest gave him, and when the wizards fled, a final blow killed the high mage Vensil. Then the king priest declared all wizards evil and marked them for death. The divine hammer split into two groups the bulk of them heading to assault the Towers of High Sorcery in Losarcum, when the remainder stayed in Istar to protect the king-priest. These are the lost battles, by the way. Cathan being sent to Losarcum, was an act of banishment to Cathan's mind uh, due to the fear that the king-priest has over his power. The Ergothian army gathered to destroy Daltagoth Tower and the Salamnics were to target the Palanthas Tower of High Sorcery. As the armies moved into position over the weeks that followed, Jurelia was appointed the new high mage and ordered the towers to be evacuated with all magic items removed to Weyrith. The king-priest received a present from an unknown source containing seeds for each of the tower's protective grounds. When used, they would clear a path to the tower's front doors. He sent these to the relevant towers, and when Daltagoth received theirs, they wanted to take immediate action, even though the king-priest declared Losarcum to be the first tower to be taken. They buried the seed, which did as expected, and the Ergothian army assaulted the tower before the residents had time to evacuate. As the assault continued and the wizards knew they would lose invaluable artifacts to the Ergothians, they chose to destroy the tower instead, which wiped out the entire army and city, and the king-priest found out. His, destri- his decisions were driven by fear, and he still insisted that Lusarkum should be invaded. As the wizards cleared out the tower and feared for another attack, they knew they may have to destroy this tower as well. Lesienne reached out to Cathan, who at this point no longer trusted the judgment of the king-priest, and believed this was the wrong course of action. She tried to show Cathan uh, through magic what happened at Daltgoth, but she was in- interrupted by Cathan's men and ultimately fled. Then the Divine Hammer assaulted Losarkam. They fought through the Guardians and lost many before facing a single wizard. Then the tower started to like warp and, and sort of shift, and Cathan knew exactly what Lucien was trying to tell him. He knew that this tower would explode just like Daltogoth did, and he tried to escape. Lescienne refused to help to destroy the tower and ended up saving Cathin and his former squire Tithian. Lesian was struck by a bolt before they fled and died. Cathan now believes that the king-priest knew about Daltagoth and ordered Los destruction anyway. He now knows that the king-priest is no longer in his right mind, and this is no longer a holy mission. The high mage, Jerelia, makes peace with Istar to abandon and turn over the towers in Istar and Palanthas in order to stop the fighting, and the king-priest readily agrees. Weeks later, she dies from grief, and Merrick is named the high mage. As Kathan and Tithian are traveling to Istar, the King Priest is met by Fist and Danlus, who reveals that it was he who gave them the seeds and wants to be on the King Priest's council. They end up striking a bargain, and Fist and Danlus returns to Andrus, who has been trapped in a dungeon for weeks after his attack on the King Priest. Kathan finally arrives at Istar and confronts the King Priest. He denounces him and steps away from the Divine Hammer, leaving Istar for good. Fist and Danilus now tells the mad Andras what to do next, and as Merrick is handing the keys of the Tower of Palanthus over to the mayor, Andras casts a curse on the tower and plunges himself to his death, corrupting and sealing the tower until the master of both past and present comes. Knowing that Fist and Danilus masterminded this entire affair, and his insistence that Beldinas is the king-priest and remains alive, I think... Fist and Danilus knows that Cathan was supposed to be the next king-priest, but his own schemes would have failed if he were. It makes Raceland Majir even more powerful in my mind after he returned to the past and defeated Fist and Danilus in the Legends trilogy. At the, as this book ends with such a bang, I can't wait to start the next. This is an incredible novel that outshines the brilliant first in the series. The author is truly amazing, and if you're a fantasy fan read this novel. If you like Dragonlance, this novel is a must. And if you enjoy a well-written epic, do yourself a favor and read this trilogy. It's that good. All right, what do you guys have to say here? So Pearson made it feel like nonfiction Roman Empire book for sure. Yeah, especially with the language. Not only did Chris Pearson flesh out the Holy Church's language with definitions, he also fleshed out magic the language of magic like there's a lot in this entire trilogy there's a lot of language being used and it feels different enough that you do feel like when magic is being written that that is magic and when the holy uh language is being spoken that's the holy language and so it's it's very cool that he went to that effort it really feels like something like George R. R. Martin or J.R.R. R. Tolkien would do you know I mean just going that extra mile And this was written much later than all the other novels, um, than most of the other novels in the Dragonlance series. So he had to know, and this is a perfect example of an author doing their research. He had to know all of the ins and outs of the setups of all the other authors tying into the uh, legend of Huma, to the chronicles and legends, and everything that intimated about the history of Istar. He did all of that research, and still built upon it without overriding anyone. I wish Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman would do that because sweet hell, it makes it so much better and it makes Dragonlance feel completely unified, not disparate depending on who's writing it. Oh, it's so good. All right, what you love about the King Priest story is how it accurately depicts how humanity can discriminate against more and more types of others before realizing it's almost everyone. Yeah, I mean, the King Priest goes down this massive spiral of insanity. I, ne- just a sort of spoiler next Tuesday, my setting video, my lore video that I put out every Tuesday, is going to be about the Knights of the Divine Hammer. And I go off on a couple lines about parallels to real world socio political and religious organizations. I don't call out any of them but I do make those parallels because they are very, very evident as you're reading this. And I can't help as someone who just loves politics um, and loves religion to see some, also hates religion and hates politics, Uh, see some real close parallels between what is happening in the real world, not now, but just sort of throughout time and what is definitely happening in this novel. It is really, really obvious to me. So if, if you guys are sensitive, you may want to skip that video because <laughs> I'm not pulling punches here, people. Uh, you love the gritty, dangerous tone of this trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Hey Greg, how you doing, man? You started listening to the Soulforge on audiobook. Many of the uh, books are part of that series. Soulforge is great. No, well, it's good. It's good. Uh, you wanted to see more of Catherine and Lucian's relationship. You did see their death coming, which uh, made it, uh, or you did not see their death. What I liked about the relationship was that. The Knights of the Divine Hammer are chaste. They're not allowed to have sex. And so he's being drawn in against his um, religious sensibilities just because his natural inclination is to connect with her. Like, he, he genuinely loves her on some in some level, you know. She could have charmed him, and she actually tried to charm him once, and it failed, and so she didn't try again. But she's also completely like digging him like she would definitely go out with him and, you know, have some fun. But because he refuses and this is part of why I think religious people are completely insane. Why would you ever deny love? That's the stupidest goddamn thing in the world Um, because he does that his entire life takes a completely different trajectory when they could have had a beautiful union they could have saved each other and not one of them having to die i mean it could have just if if you just would have embraced love you would have lived that's the most obvious thing you could ever like acknowledge it drives me insane all right. Let's see. Uh, this story answered two questions you had regarding the original novels: why did the king priest allow and Daniel into the court. Okay, so did that land for you guys? Th- because this is a really interesting question. At a time when the king priest is seeing evil everywhere in every shadow, he's completely paranoid. Why, in Istar and on Krin would he ever agree to a black robe magician? being in his uh in his council it makes no sense he just had a war with all of the orders of high sorcery and now he's gonna like embrace him i understand why fist and Andalus wants to do it i understand if the king priest is terrified because fist and Andalus could easily wipe him off the face of anselon if his analyst is that strong but I don't understand why he went with it if it wasn't just for sheer terror of being destroyed by this evil mage. It just doesn't land for me. All right. Um, and the story of the mage piercing himself and cursing the tower. Oh, yeah. How the tower got cursed. I thought well, that was great. Can you read this at any time or should you read some other title first? Um, I would definitely read... The first novel in this trilogy before you read this one, but this trilogy, the King Priest trilogy, you can read it anytime. I um, mean, it's it's one of those that it happens after the Legend of Huma because it's in the Age of Might, bef- you know, at sort of right before the Cataclysm happens, and it explains why the Cataclysm happened, which then leads into the rest of the Dragonlance sort of stories. Uh, but it it's good enough that it's not going to ruin any surprise lore or anything because if you've read the chronicles you already know the state of the world and what happened to get it there so this just fleshes that out in a really beautiful way and the writing is stellar yeah the core books completed and a few others off of the off books yeah i would definitely read this if i were you like finish whatever you're reading now and put this on your list for the next because it's it's worth it uh, you did want to learn more about the relationship between the Knights of the Divine Hammer and the Salamnic Knights. You always thought the Salamnic Knights were more involved with the king-priest. Well, they were initially. Uh, they were the protectors of Istar until Cath Marseverin. And the king-priest realized that it's nice to have the Knights of Salamnia, but I could have someone who is devoted to me be like the leader of this new you know, knighthood. And so that's why he created the Divine Hammer in order to be just for his own personal protection. And the Knights of the Divine Hammer had total immunity. They could literally do anything and no one could say anything about it. I mean, that, he, they only answered to the king priest himself and they had complete control over Ishtar's military. I mean, it was, it was like creating this special military unit that had zero oversight could literally burn anyone at the stake for any reason on the on a whim, just all you had to do was say they're evil. No wonder why they fell. Um, the knights of the divine hammer sound like the knight templars. Yes, they really do. And that's what I'm saying about real-world parallels. There's though the the knights of Templar never well, yeah, they did. <laughs> never mind. It is a lot like them. You're right. (laughs) You didn't think it uh, landed for you because the king priest was going to eliminate every other evil first before taking on Fist and Yeah, I I just can't imagine a universe where the king priest looks at Fist and and he's like, yeah, I'm going to whip that ass. (laughs) There's no way. Uh, There's just no way. Even his own light was failing him. His own healing at this time was failing him because he was committing evil acts in the name of good. So, like, maybe if it was at the beginning of his reign, but 20 years in, I think it's too late. He's he's too corrupted at this point because of his own fears. This time frame would make for a great campaign with the good guys being the enemy. I completely agree. This And, and, and it's one of those questions that I ask uh, in at the end of those videos is, would you engage your players in a morality-based campaign? Because that's really what this comes down to. Um, Alignment in Dragonlance is incredibly important, and that's why I'm so frustrated with 5th edition where it downplays alignment. Um, your actions are incredibly important. They, in, they uh, uh, inform what your alignment is and what it should be. You lose powers or gain powers based on your alignment. I mean, it affects everything around you, and it helps the, ki- the player understand what choices his character would make in a very clear-cut, simplistic way. You don't have to worry about, well, what's my oath and what's my motto and what's my, you know, I mean, all that, that's so stupid. Just look at your alignment and then your class and then use your brain. That's all you got to do. Oh, thanks, Don. I appreciate that. I really do. I'm glad you found it too. What do I think of Kathan as a protagonist? I think Kathan is the bee's knees. (laughs) I think Kathan's dope as hell. He came from literally a peasant who's lost nearly every single one of his family members to plague. He ended up being a fervent defender of this young monk who turned into the King Priest. He ended up fighting and defending the King Priest in the Divine Hammer and being the first knight of the Divine Hammer. And then he realized that the King Priest was full of shit and not holy at all and abandoned his ass. And I love the last line in this in this book between the two. When the king priest stands up and he's like, But I gave you life. And Catherine or Catherine looks back at him, he's like, I gave it to you first. Meaning I sacrificed my life for you before you gave me my life back. And then he just walks out like a mic drop. Dope as hell. Catherine, he should be the king priest, like straight up. He is the if it wasn't for Catherine. Belden never would have gotten the mice room. He would have died by all of those undead ghosts, period. He just would not have done it. It was only because uh, Catherine literally carried Belden's body out and put the crown on his head that he actually lived and sacrificed his life. If all those things would have changed, if Catherine wasn't in the picture, Belden never would have been king priest. There would never have been a cataclysm, and um, everyone would be having uh, Taco Tuesdays. Every day. <laughs> I don't know why I had the last part on, but it would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, the ability to change your beliefs at age is a strength, not a weakness. Catherine. Yeah, no, I totally agree. First of all, it's just one of those things as a human being, as you grow, as you're exposed to perspectives, you should have an evolved perspective. It doesn't mean it's going to involve in one particular way or another, but you should be changing your perspective based on your life experiences. That's just, that's called growth. (laughs) I mean, you should do that. You should never in life blindly follow someone, even though something deep inside of you is telling it's wrong. And you're like, but they told me to do it, so I'm just gonna do it anyway. No, that's what slaves do. That's what the ignorant masses do. That is not what an individual does. It's gross. Tango Tuesdays! Alright, that's it, everyone. Thank you so much. This is my review of Divine Hammer by Chris Pearson. Do you think Catherine was the true King Priest? Do you enjoy the fated love between Lessian and Catherine? And finally, do you believe the fall uh, uh, to fear that the King Priest made? You can email me at info at or leave a comment below. I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click that Like button. It all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. Once again... This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga. Thank you so much for joining in that celebration. My name's Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, sláinte